Hey everyone. In this episode, Jose and I chat with Adam Stugard, a senior enlisted leader in the United States Air Force with a background in military intelligence who is currently an instructor of advanced leadership studies. During our talk, we discuss problem solving in a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous environment. We learned a lot and we are sure you will too. Enjoy. Live. Learning. Leadership. The Llama Lounge. Welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on life, learning, and leadership. Joe here, and I have with me my brother, Jose. What's happening, bro? Hey, Joe. How you doing, brother? Doing well. Good. Good, man. Is, uh, anything changing in your neck of the woods? Um, so we're, we're talking about potentially going to what uh, our base has deemed phase two, uh, mm. hopefully in the next two or three weeks kind of thing. So we're just getting geared up for that. A lot of decon plans and you know, making sure there's no more childcare issues when folks start coming in because uh, some of the resources we normally have are, uh, they're not as open as they normally are. So other than that, yeah. no, just looking forward to Memorial Day, spend some time with the fam, remember the reason why we're doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a week of leave this week, just trying to start some projects and the book we've been talking about pushing out one of these days. So <laughs> I decided it'll, it'll happen one day, but you know, I just thought we might as well just start writing. So, but cool. man. So, uh, Hey, today yeah. we have a very special guest, man. We got, uh, Adam Stugard an air force senior enlisted leader that currently instructs advanced leadership studies at Maxwell Gunter Annex in Montgomery, Alabama, and has a background in military intelligence. What's up, Adam? How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on guys. I, I appreciate the invite. Yeah, man. I, I really appreciate you, uh, taking the time. Um, uh, the first time I met you through uh, Heath Temple and um, he kind of connected us and you did an awesome professional development um, lesson for my senior NCOs. And I just thought, man, I need to have this guy on the podcast because uh, man, some of the stuff that you were talking about just kind of blew my mind. And I know a lot of my, um, my teammates were just all just really, really excited about having that lesson and they appreciated it. And they told me how much um, they wanted to get those slides that you sent out and they, you know, and they got a lot out of it. So thank you well, for that. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I also appreciate you um, bringing me on for that. Um, you got a really good group out there. Yeah, definitely lucky. They're very uh, open-minded, you know, and they, they have a growth mindset and I really appreciate that because just, you know, I don't know, just putting in the work ethic and having a growth mindset will take a team very, very far. Mm -hmm. It's tough sometimes even, um, you know, you, once you're in for a while, you get institutionalized. Sometimes you get a little bit cynical. Um, they did mm -hmm. not seem cynical, like for a bunch of senior NCOs who are, you know, stereotypically pretty, you know, curmudgeonly. <laughs> um, they were, they were really open. They had uh, some good questions, good discussion. Um, yeah, I really appreciated it. Yeah. Awesome. So, Hey, Adam. So, you know, we, we like, whenever we have a guest on, we, we like to hear, um, their story because we, we hear it all the time. You know, every airman has a story. Every person has an amazing story. And we, we all, we, we want to know like, Hey, how did Adam get to who he is today? You know what I mean? Like, so we'd love to hear a little bit about your background, um, and, and what you've seen and done and maybe a little bit about your history. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So I, 
I came in a, a little bit late. Um, there was a, a big defining thing that kind of kind of pushed me, and I, I tinkered with the idea of joining the Air Force um, out of high school and stuff, but I didn't end up doing it. Went to college for a little bit, didn't uh, didn't finish it up. Um, and anyway, I, I was working for um, a couple banks and then an insurance company, um, and it was one of the big one of the big insurance companies down in Florida. Um, and it was great. It was one of those companies you really like working for because all the benefits, you know, they had like a gym on site, childcare on site, a cafeteria with mm. a chef and stuff. And nice. you get time off. It was fantastic. I really enjoyed it, but um, I didn't feel all that fulfilled doing it um, because it was, it was a little bit robotic at times, a little bit monotonous and everything. Um, but still, you know, I enjoyed the people and fundamentally I enjoyed helping the person on the other end of the line. Um, but then, um, I was, uh, <laughs> I was working a late shift. Um, I'd work one to 1 PM to 10 PM. Um, cause then I could meet up with my friends and drink afterward stuff. So I, could <laughs> nice. and then I could sleep off any, any ill effects from the drink. <laughs> um, so, you know, I had, had that's, my, that's good planning. Sleep. That's, that's very good planning. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Nothing wrong with that. I was going to go far, wasn't I? Um, but then uh, one morning, um, like early in the morning, uh, my phone is ringing off the hook. And, um, and I, I think I am hungover that morning, actually. So um, I stumble out of bed after like the 50th time it rings. I go out and pick it up. And it's uh, one of my friends from work. He's like, dude, are you watching TV right now? I'm like, no, man, I'm sleeping. So uh, um, he's like, dude, put on the, the TV. Um, a plane just flew into the World Trade Center. So I put it on and, uh, and I see what's going on and I just, just sat there watching and, you know, um, probably felt like anyone else who's watching, uh, the, mm -hmm. the attacks on September, September 11th. Um, but I was, I was kind of numb. And, um, so I, I really started thinking about, man, what am I doing? Um, I, I, I enjoy my job. It's a, it's a great job. Right. But, um, but I'm not doing anything anyone else couldn't be doing um, and I'm certainly not, um, doing anything to help. So, um, you know, I really did some soul searching and, and, um, I thought about it and, um, uh, I said, you know, this, this attack makes me realize, you know, there's a bunch of people who are really angry with us and who don't make a distinction between, you know, a combatant and a non-combatant. It, it's all the same. Hmm. Um, and that means, I'm at risk and everybody I love is at risk. And if everyone I love is at risk, then I want to have some say in how this goes. And then I figured, um, well, if this, if we were ever to have any chance of preventing this, um, how could we have done that? And I figured it probably would have had to have been in the intelligence realm and not that, you know, Adam Stugart was going to rush in and save the day, but, um, want to do something right. Mm -hmm. So um, I went, talked with an Air Force recruiter, said I wanted to do Intel and wanted to join, you know, as quickly as possible. Um, set me up, took all the tests and everything. I was in the delayed entry program like two weeks to the day and, mm -hmm. um, and just waiting to, to ship out. So, um, so that's how I ended up in the Air Force and how I ended up doing Intel. Um, but I've stayed in the, in the Air Force because I feel like um, – there's, I've never been in a place where I feel like I've had more of an effect on, you know, big things. Um, and then the people I've worked with are <laughs> you 
incredible. Um, it's the people that make it worth it, right? You guys know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, I've been real fortunate, got stationed in a lot of fantastic assignments, got to do a lot of things within the world of Intel. And um, I'm, I, I think by nature, I'm, I'm uh, not, I, I like change. Um, I don't like staying in one place too long and I don't like doing the same thing for very long. So um, my job kind of fed into that. So I've really enjoyed it. Um, I've stayed because of all that, you know? Um, uh, got promoted, so I was really fortunate. And then um, one thing I, I've always wanted to do is, um, you know, teach um, professional military education at some level. And this is my last shot, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I, I jumped on it, and fortunately, I, I got hired at the schoolhouse, so I can uh, I can be an instructor for a little bit. That's that's awesome. That, I mean, you know, you actually have a job that I, I want as well. Um, it just I already had an assignment moving out, but I even talked to uh, Mike Wester about you know the position and stuff too. When I was going through chief leadership course, and just thought it's such a cool thing. And yeah, we have a lot in common because PME is something that I definitely want to get in. I haven't had the opportunity to get you know to do it yet, and uh, but it's something I'm super passionate about. So good on you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what um what assignments have you had? Where, where have you been? Um, I started off at, uh, Jack Molesworth. It's, um, RAF Molesworth. So it's in the United Kingdom, mm. um, about an hour's drive north of London. Um, and it is the joint analysis center. So it's the, um, the joint intelligence center for the United States European command. So it was a joint base. Mm. Um, and I got to do targeting out there. So it was, it was really, really interesting. Um, after that, I went to Korea to Osan for a year and um got to work i, I worked the watch um oh yeah you're in the aoc yeah uh, yeah 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 that's a watch. very cool room <laughs> very cool room <laughs> yeah definitely and uh got to got to work some threat warning for the u2 missions when they would go up um but it, it, that was fantastic you know a year in korea is like two years anywhere else it seems like yeah you know? so i learned oh, yeah. a lot and after that i Got a, a great follow-on. I went back to the UK uh, to RAF Mildenhall, and I got to work mm -hmm. with the refuelers, the KC-135s. Um, deployed to Iraq, and did some work in a um, tactical interrogation facility, and then went out to um, Creech after that to work with the MQ-1s, and got hired. Um, well, got hired to be the resource advisor for the squadron as we were growing and splitting the squadron. Um, that was that was an interesting story. But, <laughs> Uh, I'll skip that one for now. Got, uh, but the good thing about that, you know, I, I did, didn't want that job going in. Mm -hmm. um, I was happy to do it, you know, happy to do any job they asked me to do. But um, I was like, man, I'm here to do Intel. I, I, I don't want to do the money stuff, but, um, but okay, you know, if that's what needs to be done, I'll do it. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and I did my best at it, but the commander I, I worked for is phenomenal. He, he, was, he was great. He ended up being a, a wing commander before he retired, but um, he... Um, you know, just doing a good turn, like keeping a positive mental, mental attitude and, and making the best of any assignment you're given, any role you're given, you know, um, I, I did that. And even though we were a little bit hurt for Manning, um, when I was done with that RA job, I wanted to volunteer to be the, uh, the command chief's exec out at the 432nd wing. And, um, and I knew it was a big ask, <laughs> but hmm. he supported me doing that. He was like, yeah, man, you, oh, you wow. 
definitely done your part. So I'll let you, let you do that. And that's kind of an investment in me um, at the time, right? Because the squadron, um, we were standing up like a cap a month, like a combat air patrol every month. So another MQ-1 predator line every month. Um, so we were growing fast um, and they could definitely use the hands. But um, I think he, he saw, you know, this will pay the Air Force back. And I've done my best to do that ever since. Um, but after uh, that job was great, you know, in, in terms of a developmental special duty, um, command chief exec, it's not one of the identified ones, but it's fantastic. So your scope goes from, you know, here, here's my lane as a, right. as a staff sergeant or a tech sergeant to, whoa, here's yes, it everything does. that's going on in the Air Force, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it was cool. Yeah. And, and uh, after that, I went to Izmir, Turkey, which at the time was the, um, NATO had two air component um, commands, one for the northern um, air and then one for the southern air. The southern air had um, Middle East, North Africa, the Mediterranean. And the, the headquarters for that was a three-star command in, in Izmir, Turkey. So I got stationed out there, got to do some joint time. That was great. And then I went to, um, I went to CENTCOM, CENTCOM Prime in Tampa at McDill and did three years there and then went out to Hawaii, worked in the AOC in Hawaii for two and a half years, made chief and then took over one of the squadrons um, and it was a SIGINT squadron. So it was a flavor of Intel that I really hadn't done before. Um, mm. But it was very interesting, super smart people, uh, like amazingly brilliant. They would talk about what they did and it would sail right over my head, but like, man, I'm so <laughs> glad you're excited about what you do because you lost <laughs> me after, uh, after the, the intro, you know? Oh, <laughs> man. Well, that happens to me every time I talk to Intel guys. So <laughs> probably at yeah. least three times when I'm talking to you, it's going to happen to me. But, <laughs> but, but I appreciate what you do too, Adam. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. And yeah, but that brings me here. And then I, I just arrived not that long ago. We're actually, I, I finished up my basic instructor um, course about four days before all the lockdowns and everything. So I haven't instructed anything. So I can't even really call myself an instructor yet. But um, we're starting in a couple of weeks a virtual, uh, virtual yeah. in-residence course. So it's some asynchronous learning. We're trying something new. Jose, that's the one you're going to be in? So I don't know. Uh, the notifications <laughs> were supposed to come out, but I definitely didn't get a notif notification. And it looks like I'm like oh. a number two priority on the list. Well, however that yeah. priority system works. So I don't know. You'll probably be in the next one. If you haven't been alerted, uh, I, thought, I think they already built all the rosters and everything. So mm -hmm. if you haven't gotten a notification, you'll probably be in the next one, which I, probably a decent chance will also be virtual, but who knows? The stuff yeah. evolves right. quick, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, yeah. a lot of cool stuff that you just talked about, um, especially when you branched out to do the exec stuff. Um, I know Jose had a big smile on his face because, because you know, we, we know like the, the amount of just the peripheral learning. And I've been using that term a lot, but you learn a lot of things when you're doing one thing, right? I mean, so you're doing a command chief exec, mm -hmm. you're managing calendars and you're doing all the stuff, but how many things are you learning about attention to detail, communication, coordination, and right. everything else that, that directly relates to leadership? Yeah, and you end up running a lot of um, projects to ground or um, like mm -hmm. doing project management type, type duties on it, even if you're not mm -hmm. the lead, right? Um, you're, you're keeping tabs because um, you're, you're the touch point, like the chief, the command chief is going to come to you first to ask right. you know, the status of, you know, A, B or C. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was interesting when you were, oh, sorry. 
Go ahead. When you were no, go when ahead. you were talking yeah. about your history, just because uh, very very similar to me, I'm a I'm a crew chief by trade, but <laughs> there was a point where um, I ended up becoming a group RA, and I got to tell you, the level of learning for that was insane. Mm-hmm. I mean. I remember looking at Chris, looking and just is like, this looks like the Matrix. I, I had no idea what the ones and zeros were, right? And you're like, okay, well, somehow that's money. And then I had the opportunity to be a, a command chief exec too. So you're you're spot on, Joe. The the aperture widens, um, and it it just keeps getting wider and wider because you never know um, who you're going to come in contact with. At some point, it was the chief of staff for the Air Force that came to the small little base, and we're like, well, okay, sir, let's let's hop on this, you know, and. I'm going to brief you on something I didn't even know about 10 minutes ago. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting job. Definitely get to learn. Right. Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. That the stuff that you're learning whether yeah, like you said, doing the RA stuff or stepping out, doing the command chief exec. And I think you, you start learning all these peer leadership skills because it's not even peer leadership, but you're, you're going to have to wrangle all these chiefs around the installation because <laughs> right. you know, you're working directly for the command chief and, uh, and you start, so you definitely start learning how to communicate tactfully, even though you're like, no, I need, I really mm-hmm. need you to do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So very cool. So, um, Adam, transitioning. So the lesson that you kind of taught, uh, that you did teach our, my folks is, uh, it was called simple, complicated, complex. And it was all about problem solving. Um, and, and I really thought, man, this is such a good thing because especially right now in, in the environment that we're in, we really don't know what's going to be coming around the corner. Um, every day it's a new thing and we really don't know what's going on. And I was thinking, could you kind of elaborate on some of that, starting off with maybe um, explaining what are the three categories of problems that, um, that I just kind of listed off by kind of explaining them a little bit more? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and they're good. It, it's good to know what you're what you're dealing with, right? So, um, if we're to go through the three different types, um, we'd start with simple. And by the way, all of what I'm talking about is in a great book um, by Rick Nason. It's it's called It's Not Complicated, um, and you can find it through online booksellers. I wasn't able to find it locally, but online I was able to get it. Um, but he starts off by talking about simple problems. Simple problems. The the thing is you can um, um, you can define success so you know what the outcome you want to be um, you can you can define it right um, also you can reasonably know the factors you may not be immediately aware of all the factors but they'll become evident and you'll be able to, to knock them out um, you can also codify the process you can you know turn it into a checklist or something like that and that means that other people can come back, pick up that checklist or that, you know, that SOP and follow it. And they should be able to reproduce the outcomes. Um, but the thing about simple problems, by the way, complicated problems are, have those same factors. You can define success. You, you can know the factors. You can, you can write it down and people can produce the same outcomes by following those instructions. But the difference between simple and complicated are um is that simple you don't need exactness in the factors that go into it whereas complicated you do there you you need precision so the example he uses in in the book is um you know did either of you guys make coffee today i did i got a keurig (laughs) oh okay well (laughs) 
<laughs> it, did either of you make a pot of coffee? How about that? Because curing's like oh. very, very easy. Yeah, no, I didn't make no. a pot though. <laughs> well, well, I did. I do it every every morning. The um, I make a pot because my wife and I share it. Um, nice. And so I'll I'll fill up the water, you know, put the water in, and then I get a filter, throw it in, and then I measure out each scoop, right? I put in X number of scoops based on how much water, and then I hit the on button and it, and it, and it runs. But if I were to lose that scoop, I could probably eyeball how much coffee grounds I need to add, right? And I may not add enough, or I may add too much. And then I'm going to have either really weak coffee or really, really strong coffee. But either way, it's coffee. And that's a good example of a simple problem because the outcome is defined. You want to make coffee. Um, the factors are known, you know, you, you need water, you need a coffee pot, you need grounds, and you need a coffee filter, I guess, if you're fancy. And uh, and then that's about it, but it doesn't really matter how much coffee you, you, you have, or water, you know, for that, for that matter. Um, so a complicated problem adds a degree of precision to that. So, like, if you were to do your taxes, we just did our taxes, right, um, not that long ago. If you just ballparked your income or how much you had withheld throughout the year, you're not going to make any friends with the IRS, right? You probably right, right, not. Right, and that's because right. you have to use precision with those things. So mm -hmm. you may be an individual, uh, like a single person um, on filing and, uh, and it's maybe pretty straightforward, or you may have like tons of property. You may be a multinational conglomerate um and you know the accountant working for uh, for someone like that or something like that and either way you should be able to find out what the taxes were right what what taxes were owed what taxes were paid and um and anybody else who is similarly trained to that task and has the rule book should be able to repeat it so that, that's simple that's complicated right um, the last category is the complex problems and complex you probably can't define success you you may define success but you may find out that your definition of success was way off mark um, there are many factors that are going into it and, and you you cannot possibly know them all you also can't codify the process because you you know you don't even know all the factors necessarily um, and because of that, the outcomes are not reproducible. And there's a key component to complexity called emergence, and that's the unpredictability. And that's one of the big things that sets it apart from simple and complicated problems. So an example there is, you know, if you were um, on a high stakes sales call, right, um, or, or sales pitch to, uh, to bring in a new client, high value client, right, you don't necessarily know what success is at the outcome like you may have a vision of success you may say all right i want this guy um, to buy a thousand units of this product and stuff but maybe at the end of the pitch he says well you know let's start off with a hundred and we'll see where we go from there you know is that success or what if he gives you a maybe you know you can probably define failure if he says no <laughs> but right. defining success is a little bit more difficult and you don't know the magic combination of words and even if there is one that's going to convince him mm. to, to buy, right? You know, he may be having a right. bad day. Um, you may be, you know, you may look like me, you know, a, a middle-aged white guy, and he just doesn't like middle-aged white guys. And there's nothing you can really do about that, right? 
So there's, there's complexity. And anytime you have that human dimension, um, complexity is going to be introduced. Mm. So those are, those are kind of the overview of the, the three big wow. Uh, categories. Wow. I mean, that, that's, there, there's a lot there. And, and, you know, I was just talking to um, some uh, veteran transition folks and, you know, when you talk about complex, you know, we, we, it's like we're constantly trying to create a metric on success of that program, but it's, it's comp, you know, it's very complex. Like it's, it's not just simple as if you got somebody a job when they transition out to the air force, that's not a metric that says you're okay. successful. Cause what if they hate their job <laughs> or whatever, you know, whatever it was yeah, a really yeah. job that fits them, you know? So there's so much mm-hmm. more to that. And, um, and I think one of the problems is that we try to define it, right. And we're trying to make that complex problem, maybe just complicated or, or simple. And something that I really appreciated what you had mentioned um, during the training was, while simple and complicated problems can be solved, complex problems can only be managed. Um, would you be able to kind of like maybe elaborate a little bit deeper on that? Yeah, the big thing is there's probably not going to be an outcome. There's not a nice, tidy resolution to a complex problem, you know, for the most part. Um, so you have to you have to manage it. Um, and and what you what you mentioned there, um, you know, job placement for veterans is is a good example um, because it, it's something that that is going to be ongoing, and you can't. There's no diagram for success because the right job for me may not be the right job for you, and mm-hmm. um, and even if it's the same line of work or something, um, it may be that the particular company isn't the right fit. You know, they're the I just don't fit in with the culture or maybe the benefits aren't right for my family. So there's a lot of weird things going on. Um, so you just kind of have to keep working to find, find um, the next best solution. So one of the, one of the strategies here is uh, adopting a, a complexity mindset and that's, you know, Hey, it, it's okay. If, if I can't completely solve this, it's okay. Mm-hmm. If there's work left at the end of the day, when I got to go home, it's probably not satisfying. And so that's why I think as human beings, sometimes we rebel against that a little bit, but, um, but we have to be okay with that. So in the book, um, Rick Nason suggests adopting a try learn adapt approach to uh, problem solving. And it's the same sort of thing that they're, that they're doing in um, Silicon Valley with, um, you know, lean startups and stuff. It's like, it's the fail fast um, mm. plan, right? So you, you try, try something out, right? You, you come up with maybe a few COAs and try to pick the one that, that looks best to you. And then you, you implement it and you're probably not going to feel real comfortable with it because you are inherently working with not all the information, right? Because one of the mm-hmm. things about complexity is you don't know all the factors. So um, so you start off, you probably feel a little bit weird about it, um, but you press. And then along the way, you monitor, you seek feedback, you know, you communicate with stakeholders and, uh, and see how things are going. And there may be aspects that work and there may be aspects that um, could probably work with a little bit of tweaking. And there are probably aspects that you need to kill. So you need to, to figure out some, some time to you know, talk, talk it over. Um, definitely don't want to do it in isolation. Um, this is one of the areas where diversity really comes into play and, um, and making sure you are not 
the only one making the the decision, or at least if you're making the decision, you're not doing it in the bubble where you're not getting mm -hmm. any sort of feedback. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so some of the other aspects of that complexity mindset is um, that self-awareness piece. So um, you have to have some intellectual humility. Maybe I don't have the best idea. What role do I need to fill here? Maybe there is somebody who's a little bit more innovative, who's who I just need to empower. Um, am I personally, am I prone to overreact or underreact to things? Am I prone to trying to jump in and solve things quickly? Am I too controlling? Do I need to let go? So, um, so those are definitely some questions you need to ask. Challenge assumptions in there. Um, and that means ask questions, even ask some stupid questions. There's, there's a book I'm reading right now. It's called range. Um, it's, it's really great. It's, it's about, um, being a generalist in an increasingly specialized world, but hmm. you can probably see how the topic like flirts with a complexity mindset, you know, mm -hmm. you get a generalist outlook and you're maybe not super deep on any particular thing, but you know a lot about a, a lot of things. So you can come up with um, possibly a lot of different solutions. Um, some of them will work, some of them weren't. Um, but part of it, is asking stupid questions because um, as we learn, um, if we are being helped along, if we're getting getting hints, that that learning doesn't doesn't stick. Um, mm -hmm. But we become a little bit more invested in the outcome when we when we uh, you know take a stance, when we ask a question or, or give an answer that we think is correct, only to find out that it's wrong. Um, you can probably think of a time when when you thought you had something figured out, come to find out you didn't. Um, and that, that failure is kind of seared into your mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I remember there was, um, there was a time where I was, uh, I think I was in class and, um, I had to read out loud. Right. And, um, the word was facsimile and, um, and I read it as facsimile because, you know, if you're <laughs> on phonics, that's, that's the way you'd pronounce it. And, uh, and people were like, uh, Hey, uh, dummy, <laughs> it's facsimile. Um, and now I can recount that decades and decades later because it was an, an embarrassment, uh, on my part. Right. Um, so yeah, ask stupid questions, be comfortable being uncomfortable. That is, yeah, that's, that's so funny. I, I was, I was just listening to um, an entrepreneur podcast, and I remember one of the things the guy said was, you know, I like to be the dumbest person in the room, and you know, what I mean, because I want to find myself a room where everybody's smarter than me, so I can learn, because that's the only way I'm gonna get better. And I was like, man, who's ever said that before? Like, I want to be the dumbest guy in the room, but I mean, there's a lot of, uh, it's, it's not comfortable, right? People are talking over your head, but you just ask some, some what you would consider a stupid question, maybe, and you're going to get some answers from that and, and you keep trying over and over again i mean that's that's some great stuff right there true and sometimes the stupid question you ask mm -hmm. un uncovers the assumption that everybody had and it ends right. up challenging it right you know yeah right yeah yeah, um, that's why I like what you said about um, failing fast. I mean, how many opportunities um, do we skip because we don't want to fail or we don't want to look stupid? How many questions do we not ask because of that? And if we get to the point, if I ask 10 stupid questions and they're all just literally maybe just seen as stupid questions, but then I ask that 11th one, it might get us to a next level. 
right? Because everyone's like, wait, right. yeah, what's that? <laughs> wait, nobody's thought about that before. Why are we doing it that way? Yeah, exactly. That's that's a really common one, right? You know, oh, we've just always done it that way. And then you, you know, you peel it back and and the probably good reason that that created that um that process or that product um may not exist anymore and so now you're just doing it out of habit mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome hey so adam i know we're kind of jumping around on some of the discussion points and some of the topics that we talked about but i was wondering if you could kind of um because there you know i learned about vuca probably for the first time at chief leadership course and i think a lot of people you know don't hear that term very often i was wondering if you could kind of like educate us on what that term means vuca vuca and what's a vuca world yeah sure um that started out as a as a military term but it's been adopted throughout business and and you know throughout government and stuff um but vuca is an acronym it stands for um and it's broken down into volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous and that you know if you think about those words that's kind of the world we're living in right now um uh and i've heard it used in um in conversation uh, especially out in the pacific you know when uh when i was at the air operations center and we were in the midst of all the korean missile launches and stuff you know we mm -hmm. kept talking mm -hmm. about the 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 VUCA nature of the world that we're in but let me break those down. You got volatile, um, and that speaks to the, the nature, the speed, volume, and magnitude of change. And it's not in a predictable pattern. So um, if you guys remember Anchorman, like the first one, um, mm -hmm. there's, the, there's the news team fight, right? <laughs> right. And, um, and uh, it starts off with a little bit of name calling, and then all of a sudden you got um, you know people like launching, throwing hand grenades, and shooting at each Tridents. other. Person, yeah, the trident. <laughs> then they get back to uh, to Ron Burgundy's office, and they're kicking back, drinking beer, nursing their wounds. And Ron Ron has his feet up on the desk, and he's like, "Wow, that escalated quickly. That's the volatility, right? Who knew the world of news teams was so vuca, right?" <laughs> <laughs> um, the next, the next letter is uncertain, right? So, um, that means that it lacks predictability in the issues and the events. So with the COVID-19 stuff that's going on, they've, there's a lot of countermeasures in there. There's a lot of things that, that we've tried and we've kind of pushed some decision, decision making down to local governments, you know, state and, you know, city and, and county and stuff, but no one has the right formula yet yeah, we're, we're all just trying stuff and we don't know if the actions that we're taking right now are going to progress in the linear way that we're hoping they will like you look at the the stimulus checks that we got you know um 1200 bucks or, or so for every um adult and whatever it was um that was a lot of money we don't know if that's going to work um we don't know if that's enough um probably it, it's not is what it's looking like now it's been uh, been what a month or so since since they did that um and and so that's part of the you know try learn adapt right so they gotta keep going gotta keep going they can't solve this um they just have to manage this so that's kind of the uncertainty um com complex that means just you know there's numerous factors kind of like what we talked about earlier um you don't know all the factors and they they interact in weird ways so um they and they adapt to each other so it's a system of systems 
and when when we were talking during the professional development, um, I led off with the story of the Gordian knot. Remember, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, that was uh, that was the mythical knot that was um, tied to an ox cart outside of the the city of um, Gordius uh, in the ancient world, and the it had a prophecy that if anyone could undo this knot, they would be the rulers of Asia. And but the knot was so intricate that you know, as you were able to loosen one spot, one area of it, other areas of the knot became more, um, more and more entangled and tighter and tighter. And so it was, it was impossible. You just couldn't make any headway. Um, and uh, in that, in that story, Alexander the Great comes through, right? And just takes out his sword and he's like, it doesn't matter how this thing comes undone as long as it comes undone. So he takes out his sword, cuts it in two, right? Um, and I'm sure we wish we had you know, a quick fix to everything. But in reality, that's not the world we live in. Um, mm-hmm. but, but that knot is, has become kind of a symbol of complexity. And then the last one is ambiguous. That means there's a lack of clarity about the meaning of something. So we don't know. We're seeing signs, we're seeing indications, but what, what does that mean? And um, during the professional development um, session, we talked about, you know, <laughs> for a few weeks, we thought, uh, uh, Kim Jong-un was dead, right? Mm-hmm. There's, um, there's tons of news reports, tons of memes <laughs> about it. And, mm-hmm. um, and we, we just didn't know. And every news report would come up with some new thread, you know, some new angle to the story. Well, the leadership chain is out in Wonsan. So what does that mean? You know, do they have good hospitals out there? We heard that, uh, you know, China flew in a bunch of specialists to help them out. And, um, and no one really knew. There were people who were like firmly in the, no, he's, he's dead. He's, and they just, they just don't know how they're going to proceed. Right. And then there's uh, other groups who are like, no, you know, they, this happens all the time in North Korea. He's probably fine. He's, he's at a resort enjoying life. Um, but we didn't know, you know, people looking at the same indicators were coming up with completely different assessments. Hmm. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot there to unpack too. And I kind of wonder, you know, going back to how we were talking about the problem solving and the complexity of the issues and how you tied it to COVID and the experiences we're going through right now. I kind of feel like one of the reasons why people are so judgmental and irritated out there in the political sphere, right. In the news is because everybody's trying to thinks that this can be answered. Like it's just, they don't realize it can only be managed. It can't be, solved necessarily at this moment mm-hmm. and um True. that's probably what's like creating a, all this extra angst because most of us have not developed that complexity mindset that, that you're talking about and it's a skill that we just kind of kind of develop i think yeah absolutely it gets very very frustrating when you want a resolution and this one you know mm-hmm. the COVID 19 stuff is a, is a great example um because it's affecting all of us in many, mm-hmm. many different ways, right? And right. all those factors are kind of playing into each other. You know, there's like the ultimate thing is, you know, some people want to reopen businesses and other people absolutely not, you know, stay mm-hmm. at home, stay at home. But there's there's good and bad to both of those, those things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not all one way and it's not the other. But people want those those neat, tidy answers. Um, you know, if, if we just do this one thing, everything will be fine. We can go back to, to normal and lead our lives. And that's not the case. That's unrealistic. But 
with that imbalance in expectations, that's where frustration comes out. Um, we're complicated thinkers at heart. Hmm. So Adam, like, please, I mean, dive a little more into that. I mean, so you said as humans, we are naturally inclined to be like complicated thinkers versus complex thinkers. Yeah. It's, um, I think kind of our default mode because, um, Oh, there's two sides to it, right? There's the nature side, and then there's also kind of a nurture element to it. On the nature side, you know, we're a product of our personality and our experience. Um, so as we come up, we, we think, you know, things that have worked in the past will work in the future. And hey, I know what I like, so other people should like this, right? But I think we know, um, like if you look at the golden rule, like do unto others as you would have them do unto you, um, that's a complicated way to deal with people. And, and a lot of times it may be right, but I'll tell you, even with some of the people I care most about in this world, I will try to apply that rule and it won't go the way I, the way I, I think, you know, I'll do something that I would really appreciate. And I do it for, you know, someone, someone I love, you know, my, my parents, my daughter, my wife, and they're, you know, they're, it's just like, you know, okay, whatever. That's, that's cool. Uh, thanks for, for trying. I'm like, oh man, that would have been a home run for me. But um, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't quite match. Um, and then also solving problems is rewarding. You know, we get, uh, you know, synapses in our brain firing and uh, the reward center is turned on when we're able to do it. You think about, you know, solving puzzles um, or playing, playing a video game and, and getting through like a very challenging level, which a lot of those are based on um, complicated elements. You know, there's a way to solve these things. Um, but when you do it, especially if it's difficult, um, you feel a great sense of personal accomplishment and that's rewarding. There's also hubris. You know, we think we can do anything or we think we should be able to do anything. And if we can't do it, then we feel like we haven't measured up. But in reality, like sometimes we just aren't going to be able to solve things. We have to be okay with that. And then I've said it before, but those tidy answers are just satisfying. You know, you go, go to the movies and you see a movie that doesn't really have an ending and look at the comments on, <laughs> on the reviews, right. you know, on tomato. People don't like that. They want, they want to know right. what happened. Give me resolution. No. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Right. Like I still think like back on movies, like the end of inception, there's still yeah. times where I think to myself, what really happened, right? Yeah, is he in the dream? What's going on? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's, uh, it's like our brain's trying to make sense of it. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, some things don't, they don't easily resolve, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, there's also the nurture side of it. So we've got the education system for years and years has been set up to, um, you know, have this teacher at the front of the room in a very pedagogical way, like feed us the information and then have us regurgitate responses. You know, they give us like the, the questions and then the answers, you know, and then we just try to repeat it. Um, even something as simple as multiple choice tests for things like, um, you know, history, like what, what was the cause of um, the civil war and what was the cause of the first world war? And, you know, why was, what, why did the Great Depression happen? You know, what were the factors? And it's not any one particular thing, but, you know, a confluence of different events and societal trends and stuff that kind of built up to a point. And there may be like a catalyzing event, but there were a lot of things that, that happened. Um, and that's the emergence part, really. 
Right. Um, and then also besides that, there's those societal success stories that we, we tell ourselves, you know, we saw the industrial revolution, you know, really, um, ushered in, you know, to a great degree, like a working class, you know, and it, and it brought us way forward in advances in science and mathematics and, um, economics and stuff. We were able to cure diseases, you know, we don't have to worry about smallpox anymore, unless you're going to Korea, then you get your smallpox shot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and um, you know, for the most part, measles is, um, is non-existent, so it's polio. Um, so you have those things, that's great. And then the space age, you know, we were able to put a man on the moon, that's, that's amazing. And with like 1960s technology, that's, that's crazy. So we have these six, these stories that say like, we can do anything. And that builds on that human, you know, hubris, like, yeah, we should be able to do anything. Look at all this great stuff that we've done in the past, you know, but um, the world, you know, it's always been complex in, in ways. Right. Um, I mean, who knew in, you know, 1914 that the assassination of a minor, um, you know, uh, Eastern European uh, monarch or um, not monarch, but uh, um, royal would have set off a world war, you know, but mm-hmm. the, the elements were, were just right. And, but now today, it's not just that the world is increasingly VUCA, it's that like the speed of information and the speed of emergence is accelerated, you know, information is more widely dispersed and more quickly dispersed. So it just really adds, you know, jet fuel to, to the mix. Um, and then, you know, we kind of get entrenched in these, the systems and the culture and, you know, we've heard knowledge is power. Um, but knowledge can be, you know, codified. We can write that down. You can, you can ask Google, you know, and, and, you know, there's some studies that are saying even, you know, Google having, all that knowledge at our fingertips has changed the way our brains work, but it's great because we can kind of outsource that stuff and then focus more on the, on the complexity, the, the interactions, you know, the systems of systems. Hmm. So let me ask you, so this is a little bit from left field, but do you think that the reason why, I mean, or maybe it's, I don't know if it's chicken or the egg here, but when it comes to systems thinking, right? Systems one versus systems two, do you think this is, us going trying to make the actual problem into something more simpler is just us trying to, you know, trying to rationalize and try to get make it so that we can get past the problem as quick as possible so that we can kind of move forward. You know, I mean, I, I might be the way off here. <laughs> it was just a thought that kind of passed my, through my head when you talked about systems. Yeah, the um, system one and system two thinking. Um, yeah, that plays into it because system one, like the cognitive heuristics. Um, we take those mental shortcuts, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's kind of the system one. And, and that is largely a product of our personality and our experience as we've, as we've come up. And then we kind of, kind of learn like, hey, if this, then that, you know? And it's usually based on like short-term immediate, re- immediate responses that condition us, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and when we're taking those shortcuts, it, it does kind of, steer us toward those easy answers, you know, especially if things similar to it have been easy. Like, you know, you look at, um, a firefighter, right? Um, you got firefighters uh, in in your squadron. Mm -hmm. Um, if they walk into a building, like if, if they're very adept at, um, you know, 
putting out house fires, right? They could walk in and probably assess the situation immediately and start making decisions based on, you know, where the flames are, what the flames are doing, the color, you know, the, um, the behavior, and they can make some decisions based on that. Mm-hmm. Now, if they walk into like a hangar or, you know, um, an office building or something like that, where the environment is different, right? They may have some of those same instincts, but they may mean something different in that new environment. Um, so they may kind of go in with a, a complicated mindset thinking like, okay, you know, if the flames are doing this, then I have to do this other thing, right? Um, but it may not apply because the situation's a little bit different, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because, yeah, I was thinking, because when you talked about, like we we make shortcuts when you talked about okay if we define what the what the reasoning for a war is super complex typically right it's not one thing that caused it like you mentioned um you know it it's not you know that the what the what the assassination of you know the prince uh was Franz Ferdinand was that, that was yeah. but, you know yeah. yeah so it's not it's, it's not just that there's a lot of stuff that I kind of worked up into it but and, and when you talked about like even the civil war it's weird because people will talk about something like oh no it was all about slavery it's like okay well no not necessarily right and then but then somebody will bring that up and it's like no it wasn't really about slavery it was just about this it was just about money it was just about whatever it's like well maybe you guys are both right <laughs> maybe there's a lot of different things going on here but uh like you, you kind of mentioned we just kind of want to put some, put a nice bow on it to make it simple whether it's one way or another it's like we're kind of like uh wired to, to try to do that and i think it's just kind of us trying to rationalize it and, and maybe like you said the hubris right like we yeah. can we can figure this out yeah that's pretty interesting so so what would you say um are some examples maybe where we took our complicated thinking and applied it to a complex problem and maybe the results were varied yeah right well sometimes we you know we want to jump in and help we want to jump in and solve but if we don't correctly identify the type of problem that we're dealing with and we start applying a complicated solution to a complex problem, um, some bad side effects can happen. And that's the emergence. And emergence really that, you know, unpredictability, that can be positive or negative. Um, but <laughs> a lot of times if we start tinkering with stuff and, and tampering with it, we, we end up making it a little bit worse than, than we expected. Um, there's a good, a good story. It's, it's known by the Cobra effect, which automatically has like a cool, (laughs) a cool branding to it, doesn't it? Um, Mm -hmm. but the Cobra effect, it it comes from a story from colonial India where, you know, provincial governor, um, uh, said, you know what, there's a lot of Cobras around here. It's, they're biting a lot of people. This is a big problem. You know, I don't like, like my, my folks dying, you know, this causing all sorts of issues. So um, we need to get rid of these cobras. Like, I think what we'll do is apply a bounty on cobras and that'll, that'll solve it. We'll get, you know, all those people out there hunting cobras, we'll cut down the population easy. So what happened was um, in the short term, there was a drop in the number of cobras and, and, you know, cobra sightings and, you know, bites and stuff like that. Cause mm-hmm. people were going out into the fields and catching cobras and they'd kill them, bring them into, you know, one of the, one of the government offices and they'd get paid their bounty. But after a little while, the people who were 
um, trying to make a living doing this, realize like, hey man, I'm spending a lot of time just running around in in uh, in the the jungle or you know the the um, fields trying to find cobras to catch. And some days I may not come up with any, you know. And then then what do I do for food? I'm trying to feed my family. Wouldn't it be easier if I just you know raised some cobras and then when I just when I needed a bounty or needed a little extra money, I could just kill a few and bring them in. So it gave rise to cobra farming in India. <laughs> so we got, um, got the farmers like raising cobras and, uh, but now they're not out like catching them or anything. So um, the numbers wow. start trickling back up. So they start looking into it and they're like, what is going on here? And, uh, and word gets back, you know, cause secrets are, uh, are not well kept. And, um, and the governor finds out like, Hey, people are farming these, these cobras. Like, um, that's why you see this, this like weird disparity between like, Hey, we're get paying a lot of bounties. So the numbers should be going down, but instead like they're going up or uh, holding, holding constant. So he's like, Oh my gosh, they're farming them. This is ridiculous. Like that's dangerous. Now we can't have this. So, you know, we got to eliminate that. All right, cut it off. Like no more bounties for Cobras. So the farmers hear the news and they're like, Oh man, you know, that, that sucks. You know, I guess it was, good while it lasted but um well i guess i'll go and release all these cobras <laughs> so, <laughs> the numbers you know go go even higher and um you know that uh that's a funny story but that line of thinking has been applied over and over again um there's also the hanoi rat massacre um which was basically the same story except in provincial vietnam um they had a problem with rats and so they did did the exact same thing and had the exact same result. And then even as recently as 2008 around Fort Benning, they had um, a lot of feral pigs. They had problems with feral pigs. So they put a bounty on, on feral pigs and um, people were going out there, um, you know, to hunt these, hunt these, these pigs, but they, I guess they decided like, Hey, while we're out here, you know, we might as well pull out and wait on like those trophy level hogs, you know? Hmm and uh and kill those so what happened is like there's all this extra bait around because you know it increases interest in um in feral pig hunting and uh but people aren't they're letting some of the smaller ones go because they're waiting on the big the big one that <laughs> can kind of kill two birds with one stone and uh and so it that population increased as well because now there's extra bait line around too right um so that's one of them. Um, but then also, you know, we've introduced species to environments to take care of one problem. And we've ended up like destroying um, an ecosystem. And an ecosystem is one of those inherently complex. It's, you know, systems of systems and they are all adapting to each other. Um, so they're all changing based on what the other things are doing. Um, so, you know, in, in uh, Australia, they had, problems with um with a with a pest i think it was a beetle that was um attacking some of the corn i believe and so they brought over cane toads um so or sugar cane or something um but they uh, they brought over the taint cane toads um and the cane toads just started reproducing like crazy and caused all sorts of problems and started eating some of the native wildlife and stuff um even like i don't know have you been stationed in hawaii I've not, I've only got to visit, but yeah, I've never got to be stationed there. 
Um, well, when you visited, I'm not sure if you saw any, but there's a lot of uh, like mongooses running around out there. Um, oh, well, I know. I never noticed that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. They're not native to Hawaii, but they were oh. brought in because they, they wanted them to, um, they had a rat problem. So they're mm. like, well, let's bring in uh, the mongoose and introduce him and he'll go around and kill all the rats. Um, but it turns out <clears throat> rats are nocturnal and mongoose are diurnal. So mm. they basically just work two different shifts, <laughs> but they're right. kind of going after some of the same resources. They're, they're both, you know, scrounging and trash <laughs> and stuff like that. So oh, wow. yeah, it didn't, didn't solve the problem, kind of just introduced another pest. Um, <laughs> and then uh, yeah. um, in the business world, you've got uh, uh, Coca-Cola, um, a famous example, the one used actually in that book, It's Not Complicated, is um, they talk about when Coca-Cola changed the recipe and introduced new Coke. And man, they they did their research. They invested a ton of money um, in blind taste tests. They they were doing this. This was part of the Cola Awards of the 80s. But they they were worried because Pepsi was starting to take some of their market share. And um, in blind taste tests, people were choosing Pepsi over Coke. Um, so they came up with this new formula and in blind taste tests, people choose, chose new Coke over not just Pepsi, but also Coca-Cola classic. Um, and so they were like, oh, well, you know, this is a no brainer. Let's change the formula. We'll unroll. We got this big marketing budget um, and it fell flat, you know, um, kind of like what we saw recently with COVID-19. Um, there was a, uh, you know, kind of a feedback loop that was created with uh, toilet paper, you know, people started mm -hmm. buying toilet paper for some reason. And then news, um, you know, news uh, agencies start covering that like, Hey, new toilet papers out better get your toilet paper. And so people right. run to the store and kind of feed on it, you know? And right. so that, that happened with Coca-Cola too. Um, and, uh, and there was some news reports as people were hoarding the old Coke um, and they, and then some very, very vocal um, critics, and uh, of Coca-Cola, like changing, changing the formula, basically what none of those taste tests could really capture was the emergence of it. And the emergence was, you know, there's a lot of people who associate Coca-Cola classic with, you know, sitting at their grandparents' porch watching the 4th of July fireworks and feeling loved, you know, and you can't, you can't account for that in a blind taste test, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The emotional ties to it. Like, yeah, the complexity of human emotions for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Cause you would think that all these in it, hindsight is 2020, right? You look back and you're like, why would yeah. you think you should do that? But, but really, you know, it's almost like some of those decisions should have had some red teaming going on. <laughs> like, Hey, maybe this isn't a good idea to bring this. This might occur, you know, but um, especially uh, yeah. introducing species, you know, into a whole new <laughs> ecosystem. <laughs> it's like, have you, have anybody in here thought that this might not be a good idea, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's some great examples. But so with, with all this going on and we kind of talked about some strategies earlier, you know, to try to develop that, complexity mindset. So uh, what would you say are some tools for maybe managing complexity since we can't necessarily solve? Yeah, the some of the tools you can use, um, you brought up one just a second ago, the red teaming. Um, and that goes along with planning, you know, um, uh, General Eisenhower used to say that, um, you know, in war and 
basically in, com in complexity. Um, plans are useless, but planning, the act of planning, is um, priceless. Um, and that's really true. So it just forces you, especially, you know, you follow the joint planning process and stuff. You start, you know, coming up with COAs, doing your SWOT analysis and stuff like that. You come up with some, like, some weird things that could happen, but at least you're thinking about them. Um, and that helps eliminate some of that, um, you know, negative emergence. And it can capitalize on some of the positive emergence that may come up. At least you've kind of thought through like some of the things that could happen, you, you'll probably still be surprised, but, um, and then red teaming, like you said, like just somebody playing devil's advocate, um, mm -hmm. like if five years from now or however long from now, this is a complete disaster. Let's write the story of how it went wrong, you know, um, or having someone against, uh, just working against you. Like I'm going to do everything to undermine that plan of yours uh, and pick it apart. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is to identify some of the, the key nodes and stakeholders. So a node would be, um, you know, something that, uh, a point where two things interact, right? So, um, like if you look at a community watch group, you've got the community watch, um, organizers and then working with, uh, with police and then kind of feeding back and forth between each other. Like the police provide them information. Like those are, those are nodes, you know, and, uh, and then stakeholders, you know, identify the stakeholders of, of um, any situation and then try to think of things from their perspective. Um, and once you identify those key nodes and those stakeholders, you can start creating some causal loop diagrams and see if they, um, they're positive or negative or, you know, kind of how, how they interact with each other. And that can also give you some idea of where problems may, may arise, um, where opportunities may present. And then another great way is to frame and reframe the issue. Um, so there's a good thought experiment, um, experiment about, you know, if you were the owner of like an upscale uh, apartment uh, building, right? Um, in, in New York, so prime real estate, but it's old, it's an old building. Um, and it's got an elevator that was installed in like the, the 40s. And your tenants start complaining about the elevator. Hey, it's way too slow. Like this is, this is a no-go. Like you need to do something about that. You're the landlord, right? Um, the complex or the, the complicated thinker would say, okay, I'm hearing from a lot of my customers that the elevator is too slow. So let's jump right into solution finding. Let's see how much would it call to install a new elevator? How much would it cost to replace the motor? Or, um, you know, <laughs> can I even install a second elevator? <laughs> like, what are the possibilities? None of those things are cheap, right? Those are all very expensive right. prospects. But if you kind of reframe the issue, like, why are they saying this? Is it because it takes too long? Or are they bored and they're just tired of waiting? If you reframe the problem and to, to look at it as though, hey, the wait is too long, like it, it's annoying me, um, I feel like I'm wasting time, then maybe you do things that make the wait seem shorter or give them something to do. So put up mirrors so they can you know, pick spinach from their te teeth or start playing some music or um, you know, maybe, maybe install like a small LCD screen that can run advertisements. And then you can even sell advertisements on, on the thing that gives them something to watch. You know, so there's less expensive alternatives that may 
have the same end effect that what you're going for. Um, and then that other book that I'm, that I'm reading range, um, I'll hold that up here for you so you can take a look. Nice. But um, this was released last year and it's great. It's, it's a really fun read. Um, but one of the things that this book foc uh, focuses on is um, uh, putting a generalist hat on um, in an increasingly specialized world. And so that's just experience weird and different things and think through like what you're doing it's kind of a mindfulness thing too right like think about what you're doing and why you're doing it um because they they found like people who are really really successful um don't necessarily focus in one area they've got a lot of different interests and they, then they bring aspects of things they've learned from these very diverse um experiences and they put them together in new and interesting ways and that's one of the ways also to get after complexity it just helps build that complexity mindset. And that's so interesting. And um, I, I've talked about this before, but like we, we had some uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts, um, great guys on the podcast recently, and we were talking to them and they were talking, they were relating um, how, you know, learning how to get out of holds when you're on the ground with somebody on top of you is you can, you can gain a lot of problem solving skills from that because just like anything, if you're starting to freak out because it's a person that has a hand on you or whatever, you're probably going to tap out immediately because you can't figure out a solution because, you know, when we're, when we're freaking out or, or you know, we're just not going to probably be at a baseline where we can make the best decisions. And I was thinking, I was like, that is so true. How do I incorporate that with the leaders in my unit? You know what I mean? Like put, bring some, <laughs> you know, and maybe just kind of go through that and relate it to that because, I mean, that could, that would transcend to so many different um, situations, right? Just the principles and the foundations of it. So that, that, that made me think about that. And, um, and the reframing the problems, like you mentioned, I think that is such a useful tool because a lot of times we are solving the wrong problem, right? Mm -hmm. It's not really a problem. Or, or like you said, the, the, the easy solution or more, just a complicated solution to a complex problem is probably going to cost way too much money. You know, it's just going to, there's no way, it's not going to be feasible to do that. So um, reframing problems, whether maybe it's like you could just move some people closer to each other instead of reorganizing something, you know, whatever it might be, maybe yeah. it's a structural thing. Uh, uh, yeah. So those are, those are great problem solving skills. And I think it's great for um, leaders at all levels to start developing that complexity mindset to understand um, that, for one thing, there's some things we can't solve. We can only manage, like you had mentioned. And then there's also sometimes where we can reframe the problem and come up with a solution that, you know, that we, now we're solving a different problem, but it comes to the same end result where, you know, the customer's happy now for whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah. So that, yeah, that, that's you awesome. Up, uh, you brought up a good one. Um, also with reframing, identifying those key nodes in the, uh, well, not, not so much the stakeholders, but those key nodes at mm -hmm. least, some of those things you can affect and some of those things you can't, but mm -hmm. it helps you see, you know, Hey, if there's like a hundred different nodes that I've identified and I can only, I, um, and I can only impact 10 of them, then, you know, maybe that's where, where you focus. You can keep an eye on those other areas, you know, to see if mm -hmm. problems are popping up, but, um, but you know, kind of the levers that you have available to pull and, and push, you know? 
Right. Yeah. That's awesome too. Yeah. Cause I remember when you started talking about reframing, I remember reading um, one of the books I read for my graduate degree was talk about reframing organizations and understanding that, you know, if it's a, if it's a super complex problem, you probably got to look through multiple frames before you yes. can get to the, you know, the, the best solution for it, because, you know, it may be a cultural thing, maybe a political thing, a structural thing or, or what have it, you know, it might be just be a human resource issue, but um, you can't just look through one and expect that you're going to solve the entire thing. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's uh that's a good plug for diversity in, in the room yeah. too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Getting those diverse perspectives and to see it from different uh, vantage points. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've talked to somebody and they told me they saw something this way. I'm like, wow, we're perched on two very different vantage points because I didn't see it that way. And I really appreciate that view, but I didn't see that at all. So uh, <laughs> yeah, diversity thing is such a huge thing. But man, so Adam, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. This is, to me, it's one of the most important lessons because, you know, as a leader, you start seeing your developing leaders kind of moving on. And we're all developing, of course, but you get to see some of um, the folks getting some experience. And this is an area where I think there's a gap. People start, because we, we keep on... We talk about, hey, what, what got you here will keep you here. Well, not really. Like maybe yeah. complicated thinking got you to where you're at, but now you got to start <laughs> thinking a little bit differently because the problems, the higher you go in the organization and the more people that you lead, typically the less complicated problems you get and the more complex problems you get to the point where every problem you get, there's not a great solution to it. And um, I think <laughs> um, understanding that, you know, the, the complex uh, mindset is, is a great thing that we should all kind of continue to shape. So I really appreciate your time. Oh, sure, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, we wrap up these things, what we call a, la a leadership rapid fire, right? So what we're going to do is just ask you four questions. And uh, clearly, there's no wrong answer there. It's just um, your, your perspective and what, uh, what it means to you. But I'm going to shoot out four questions for you. And if you don't mind answering them. Sure, yeah. All right, ready? Question one, what is your favorite leadership trait? Oh. Uh, um, that would, that would have to be trust and it's trust on both ends. Um, so I want to have trust in a leader, but I also want a leader who, who trusts me, empowers and, uh, gives me a certain degree of autonomy. Yeah, that's awesome. Sweet. All right. Question number two, what is your favorite quote? Oh, so Oh, that's a good question. Um, recently, the the one that keeps sticking in my mind is that one that that I think I said earlier from, um, I think the philosopher's name was uh, Eric Heller, but it was from, uh, quoted in, in the book, It's Not Complicated, but it's, you know, in, in a complex world or a changing world, the, the learned man or the learning man is, will reign supreme. The, um, the learned man is perfectly able to operate in a world that no longer exists, you know, so it's mm. build in that complexity mindset, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of goes in line with what I was saying. I was like, yeah, what got you here probably won't keep you here anymore. You got, you got to keep learning and getting better yeah. and understanding things. Keep branching out, do those weird different things and, and bring it into your, your tool set. Like a lot of skills, you know, transfer between different domains. Yeah. All right. All right. Third question. What would be the number one book you would re recommend to an aspiring leader? 
Um, I, ah, gosh, that's a great, great question too. I don't know if I would recommend just one. I, I, it, it would depend on the person because I've recommended different books to different people, you know? Um, but, uh, start with why is a good one, you know, Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, yeah, that's probably a good introduction. Okay. Awesome. All right. And then the final question, and this one's always the deep one. <laughs> so at the Lama Lounge, we're about life learning and leadership. So the question is, how do you keep your harmony between life learning and leadership? Uh, I probably don't do it all that well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've, uh, you know, honestly, one of the, one of the things that has come out of the, the COVID-19 stuff is I've spent a lot more time at home, you know, and during the day throughout the week, you know, uh, just telework. And, um, but being able to spend more time with my, my wife and my daughter has been fantastic. We're, we've been able to become a, a tighter, um, family unit and, and it's great. You know, I just, I never want to want this to end, but, um, uh, I feel a lot of, um, guilt in saying that, you know, um, cause mm-hmm. there had been some, some positives for me personally with this, but, um, but this has overall been like I, the gravity of the situation and what people are going mm-hmm. through is not lost on me either, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of us are in the same boat. Like, you know, it's, it's a very strange time and to feel a certain way. So, um, but you know, one of the good things about this, um, silver linings that came from this is it gave me an opportunity to meet you. And I really appreciate you, um, taking the time to not only deliver some professional development to my, um, senior non-commissioned officers, but also to come on here and share some of your perspectives. I think they're so valuable. And I think a lot of folks will get a lot from um, just understanding the different, um, the the different types of problems that we face. And, you know, and sometimes we can't solve every single one. And we just got to figure out, like you said, the levers um, that we might want to pull and, and also maybe just adapt entirely different mindsets to be able to um, manage those. So thank you so much. Oh, sure, man. It's been a pleasure. And it's been been a pleasure getting to know you as well. Yeah, awesome. Well, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Maybe we can uh, have, you, have you come on and talk about a different lesson and then come on and uh, we'll elaborate a little bit more on the podcast. Because like I said, you know, it, it, when, you, when you came to talk to us at the professional development course um, via Zoom with my senior NCOs, um, that was, you know, what, 20, 20 something people. But hopefully um, we have some more people listen to this and get some of this goodness. So once again, thank you. Really appreciate it. And um, to all our listeners, thank you for um, taking the time to tune in and um, as always um, uh, stay safe um, stay healthy and llamas are out thank you thanks for listening to the show we'd love for you to connect with us at www.llama-leadership.com and on facebook at facebook.com slash llama leadership and also on instagram at llama leaders and a big thanks to mike whitmer for the music to check out more of this stuff Go to soundcloud.com slash Mike Dash Whitmer. Thanks again. See you on the next episode.